We're in 1 Samuel chapter number 24, and uh, each of these two chapters deal with David's two opportunities um, where he had a chance to take vengeance. And so we're going to look at verse 5 and 6 here and then flip right over to chapter number 26. But 1 Samuel 24, verse 5 and 6, uh, please feel welcome to use your Bible. There is a copy located in the seat uh, in front of you, and then also it's on the screen there. So we're in... First Samuel chapter 24, verse 5 and verse 6. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Then turn over to chapter number 26, and we'll look at uh, uh, verses 8 through 11. Chapter 26, verses 8 through 11. And the Bible reads, Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And then uh, the verses following it, verse 10 and verse 11, David said, Furthermore, As the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water, and let us go. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your help. We pray you'd bless now in the time that we do have together. We ask you to speak to our hearts and help us now in these few moments, we pray. Mercy for my enemy. Uh, last week, we just kind of uh, touched into it and covered the first couple points, and we'll try to cover a few more yet tonight. Uh, keep it in mind, we don't know exactly, but most, uh, most scholars have a pretty good idea. By the way, it looks like everybody moves seats tonight. Most of you are not sitting where you normally do, right? How many of you are not sitting where you normally do? Raise, see, did you all plan this? It's, I'm so confused. I'm, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, what are, you, what are you guys doing? So I don't know if it was orchestrated, but it looks like just about everybody moved around tonight. So for whatever reason, it's all good, but uh, I noticed. So, but anyway, so most of, the, uh, most of David's psalms, <coughs> that uh, there is a correlation to the actual events that, that are flowing in, in uh, 1 Samuel, uh, as Second Samuel, uh, as we were, were reading tonight, First Samuel 24 and 26. And so the three psalms that we're referencing in this particular passage, Mercy for My Enemy, are Psalm 57, Psalm 63, and Psalm 108. These are not, um, uh, these are the ones that are most closely linked to that time period. Two particular events, First Samuel 24, 1 Samuel 26, when David had an opportunity, along with his uh, how many men were with him? Do you remember? 400. And Saul came out with an army of 3,000. Okay, so several of you got it. That's a good thing. So, uh, uh, and the first event happened in a what? In a cave. And the second one happened where? No, the second one was not in a cave. It was in the hills. In the, it, in, it was uh, in a similar area, but not in the cave. And so in each of these events, you have David who now has an opportunity to take vengeance on the guy who's trying to kill him. And nobody would blame him. It seemed like the right thing to do. 
I mean, after all, this guy wants to kill me, uh, you first. And so, but that's not David's response. And that's why we get the title for this particular one, Mercy for My Enemy. Because that goes against human nature. Because if anybody's out to get you, you want the Lord to take care of them. Uh, And you don't mean that in a good way. Because our honest, natural flesh and our tendencies and reactions are, go ahead, God, sick them. We, you know, take care of that particular individual, not David's. David's response is, let God do this and take care of the situation for me. So I want to look at uh, Psalm 57, and I'll put it up there. We're going to pray, jump right in. We'll look at Psalm 57 and uh, mention a couple verses from here and move quickly into uh, a good portion of the lesson this evening. Lord, would you help us tonight? Again, we ask you to guide and direct our words and thoughts, we pray, and uh, speak to us as only you can. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 57, on the screen there in front of you, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to start with be merciful, all right? Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Most people think this was with 1 Samuel 24, when he was in the cave, until these calamities be overpassed, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. Now, notice what he says here in verse 3 and 4. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among those, them that are set on fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. We mentioned uh, the first thing that we understood from David's passage here, David's journey through the Psalms, mercy for my enemy, is point number one, David understood mercy. He knew what it meant. He'd experienced it. We used the, the parallel passage of uh, Paul <coughs> In the New Testament, writing to the church at Ephesus, when Paul said, but God who is rich in mercy. In other words, God has an abundance of mercy. And uh, Paul knew that because he'd been the recipient of it. And one thing is very clear for the child of God. When you have benefited from mercy, you want it extended towards others. When you take a step back and you acknowledge how good God has been to you, You can't help but want that for somebody else. Instead of taking the approach or the opinion, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of like bless us four and no more. And that would be a foolish way to pray, especially if there were five of you. But uh, uh, come on, stay with me. So (laughs) it's like some of you don't get my humor. Come on, laugh. Laugh when I think it's funny, not when you think it's funny. But if you had that approach when it came to wanting God's blessing, It'd be crazy for us to live our life in such a way. God, be good to me, and I don't care about anybody else. But a genuine child of God realizes, I've benefited so much from God's mercy, God's long-suffering, God's grace. Uh, It's it's unbelievable how good God has been to me. I can't help but want that for others. I don't want God, you know, 2020 is here upon us, and, and I want to have a great 2020. But it'd be crazy for me to say, God bless me, and God bless Tony, and God bless my children and, and their spouses and grandchildren, and we're good for their, everybody else, you know, you know, do whatever you need to do. <laughs> you don't want me to pray that way for you. When I, when I think of you, I, want, I think of you and I think, God, be good to them. God, give them favor. Help them in their relationships. Help them as they rear their children. God, give them wisdom. Give them favor with their boss. Give them safety. Give them, I, I mean, I want God's mercy to be present in my life, of course. 
but I want it extended to others. So as Paul's writing, David understood it. And the first thing is David understood mercy. <coughs> and uh, we know from the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus was speaking, these are sometimes called the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. So the key to getting mercy is to be sure you give it. And you don't, you don't want to run. Uh, and by the way, that's one of the things that God gives you that you can't run out of. As long as you're giving mercy, you can almost guarantee it from this passage of Scripture right here. So Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You want mercy? Give it. Now, that's not the, people say, well, that doesn't make sense. That's exactly what God says. You want mercy in your life? You want my mercy? You make sure you're extending it to other people. And so, the second thought is David was more concerned with pleasing God than man. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 8, this is where <coughs> uh, the, uh, one of his mighty men says, let me add him. He said, I'll smite him once. I won't have to do it a second time. And it's a crazy way of speaking. We don't typically speak that way. But the emphasis on, I'm going to do it right the first time. And I'll do it so effectively, he'll be dead. And uh, you won't have to worry about him anymore. Uh, your problems are uh, all gone, you know. And, and that's the, the statement that he's making. <clears throat> By the way, David had to resist all of those men. Those men were at risk. You think about the, the fact that he stood up to, to those men. Those were his 400 men who were also running for their lives. You see, if Saul had had his way to catch David, he wasn't going to just kill David. He was going to, take, he was going to kill every one of them. I mean, when they went into battle, it was, when you say kill or be killed, that's exactly what happened. They slaughtered everybody. They left, nobody remained. That was typical uh, battlefield uh, planning and methodology, if you will. So when this man hears David say no, he also has to take a step back and realize the man I'm following is putting me at risk, so he thinks. So now he has to trust that man even more because he realizes this is our moment, this is our, you know, this is our opportunity, our window of opportunity, and you're not doing anything about it. David realized it's more important to obey God than man. You find, um, you find Peter, for instance, and Paul and others, particularly in the New Testament, you get into the book of Acts, and they realize they're running a great risk by continuing to preach the gospel. But they make this statement, they, when, they, when they're released from jail, and uh, they were worried about an uproar, the leaders in that community, and they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. It's the same attitude that David had here. By the way, that applies to every arena of life. If God has an opinion on the matter, you don't. We don't. We can't. If God is already very clear on something and the matter is already settled with the Word of God, then you and I, our opinion does not matter and it does not hold water. Now, I want to look at a couple other verses here that we have referenced already. Um, and he said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Then, two chapters later, very similar expression, David said to Abishai, this is the guy who said, let me smite him once, I won't have to do it a second time. Said to Abishai, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed? And notice this phrase, and be guiltless. And I think one of the great things that you found in David's life is this one right here. David had a proper respect for God's man. You say Saul wasn't a preacher. Nobody was given that position and put in that position by God. And so David understood God put him there. God can take care of him. And I'm not going to make him my enemy. It's, you know, listen, and by the way, I'm not, I won't spend much time on this point um, because I am the person that God has, has placed here. And so I'm not trying to toot my own horn. 
But I am simply saying that it is incumbent upon all of us to have a proper respect for the man that God places in our lives. If it's me today, and if, if, if God took me out and put somebody else in here next month, next year, 10 years from now, whatever it is, you ought to have the right respect for the man of God. And, and that's it's very implicit in Scripture. It's easier for somebody else to come here and preach that than me, because it's, it's like I'm looking at you, you ought to respect me. <laughs> if you think that's where I'm coming from, then you, first of all, you don't know me, and you don't know my heart, because I don't feel that way. But I am simply trying to teach and preach the whole counsel from which David is saying here in his journey through the psalm. He's making a point to those men, you better be careful. And uh, of course, we all know the story of, of uh, the she-bear that came out when the men were mocking uh, the prophet, and, and God sent a bear out, and they devoured all those kids just for making fun of the man of God and uh, being disrespectful to him. And I, I could tell you stories that I've read over the years where God's hand came heavy upon those who did not. And we don't always see it that way, but it's very important to have a proper respect for the man that God puts in a position of authority in your life. And it uh, um, doesn't mean you're always going to agree, but it does mean you have to understand that's God's man, that's God's anointed. And this wasn't a position I sought. God called me a very long time ago, and I've been, you know, I've not been faithful to the Lord as I should, but I certainly have tried to uh, li- live my life for the Lord and be in a position where God would want me to be. And, uh, um, but it's incumbent upon us to have that proper attitude for the man of God. Hey, listen, one thing, you know, and I've said this a number of times over the years, and, and again, most of you in here have been coming for a while and you know me, and that is I'm going to always try to be biblically correct. You don't have a pastor who's going to, you probably don't have to worry about me trying to be politically correct. I I really want to make sure that what I say lines up with the Bible. If it doesn't, you call me on it, you're right and I'm wrong. Um, I don't want to preach contrary to what God's Word says. Um, And by the way, in our culture today, that's the kind of church you you ought to want to be part of Uh, because we live in a culture today that, that backs off and doesn't want to, uh, we talked about it a little bit, those of you there on Thursday nights as we were talking about tolerable sin, and that's what's happening, uh, running counter to our culture. Uh, we started a series last Thursday night on that very thing. But, but what you want to do is you want to make sure you're at a place. And if Timberline Baptist Church ever stops preaching the Word of God, you ought to go someplace else. I'm telling the truth. If we ever start deviating from the Bible... And, and this guy right here ever starts preaching something that's contrary to the Word of God and goes off on some, out on a limb somewhere and is not preaching the truth of the gospel, then you ought to be someplace else. But if you're at a place where the Word, Word of God is lifted up and God is magnified and the Son of God is, is glorified, that's the kind of place you ought to want to be in. And so, nonetheless, David had a proper respect for the man of God, and he, in essence, said, that's God's man. You know, to use our vernacular, he said, God will take care of him. And that's, and he left it in the Lord's hand. May I say this too, by the way? When the Bible says the battle is the Lord, he's talking about everything you're dealing with in life. In this particular case, see, you should have put that in the offering. You wouldn't have dropped it. Uh, and, and so, um, and by the way, respect for the man of God. You're God <laughs> I'm teasing. Come on now. Some of you didn't smile. All right. It's all right. Easy. We're not passing the plate a second time. Don't, don't, don't freak out. Um, but it's for everything that you and I will face in this life. And so sometimes we think, well, um, you know, I, I realize that God fights my battles, but what about this particular thing? God wants to be involved in every area of your life, every window, every season, every arena. 
And so when we say the battle is the Lord's, it doesn't mean, okay, I got saved, and I'm going to take care of everything else as it happens, as it occurs in life. And then, you know, when I get to something, when I get to a Goliath moment, then I'll call on the Lord. But God wants to be involved and engaged in every single area of your life. Sometimes we think, well, this is a God-sized problem, but everything in life is a God-sized problem. He, He wants to be involved and engaged in every area of our life. Then the fourth thing is this. David knew that his trust and his confidence was in the Lord. Notice uh, Psalm 63, the second of the three psalms that we've looked at uh, here. Um, and let's see, it didn't pop up. So maybe it's, uh, maybe I need to refresh my, my uh, slide here. I'm looking, uh, is it up? Okay, so it's a little slow. Did you guys do that or did I? Uh, they're watching the game up there probably. I see both of them have their phones on. Come on now, hey. Let's go. Don't make me come up there. <laughs> all right. Did you guys help me or did it? That was all me. Okay. All right. Go back. Watch the game. Just don't tell me the score. I'm DVRing it. Psalm 63.1. Notice this. Oh, God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry, thirsty land where no water is. David knew that his trust and his confidence was in the Lord. Let's look at another one. The third of these Psalms that was written in this season or this window. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. David knew very clearly that his confidence and his trust was in the Lord. By the way, when you do that, you do go into life and everything that you're ever going to face with the knowledge and the understanding, God's got this. That's easy to say when everything is great. It really is. It's easy to say, my heart is fixed. Uh, you, I'm trusting you. I've got my confidence in you. But keep in mind the setting that David is saying this in, 3,000 to 400. And they're, they're not armed. Saul's men were armed. I mean, they came out with spears and, and uh, horses and chariots and shields and armor. David's guys are running for their life. We already know the, the, the makeup of the squad that he had. They were in distress. They were in debt and they were discontented. I mean, this is not like these guys were, yeah, let's go, man. We're ready. We're pumped. They were like, I got nowhere else to go. Might as well hang with David. I heard he had a good thing with a giant one day, so who knows? Maybe, maybe this could work out okay. When you're outnumbered 10 to 1, and you're unarmed, basically, and you've got one moment, one window to take his life, and you don't do it, and automatically everything starts looking even more bleak than it is. And in life sometimes, when it looks like everything is against you, you have to understand, mercy for your enemy is knowing this, that no matter what's happening, and that enemy, by the way, sometimes we say mercy for my enemy, we think, well, that automatically, I'm thinking of an individual. That's not always the case. Because your enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. We, we know that, and there, there are other things. But sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. We begin to doubt, we begin to worry, we begin to wonder, and what is God doing here, and how is this all going to turn out? All these things are against me. We have those Jacob moments where we throw up our hands and we, we get in despair, we get distressed, we get discontented, we are in debt, and we think, boy, all of this is against me. And at the end of the day, you've got to take a step back and say, I'm just going to trust Him. You see, I don't want to be the type of Christian that says, I trust Him for my salvation, but everything else, I'm just going to try to see if we can get through it, and if I don't, that's okay, I know I'm going to heaven you really want to live that way? But yet I know many Christians who, who go through life and they think, yes, I know I'm saved, and boy, my life's kind of a mess, and a, this and that, but I know at the end of it, we win, and whatever happens between then is okay. You don't want to go through life that way. 
you want to trust God for every single thing in your life. And so one of the things I think that caused David to, to find favor with the Lord is that he said, listen, my heart is fixed. He said, I'm going to seek God early. And he said, I, God is my God. And whatever happens, however it turns out. Now, by the way, David is saying this, and he's saying it at a time in his life where he still thinks he's going to die. I mean, he's the, he's the guy who's still saying, even though God told him he was going to become king, he's still saying, I shall now one day perish at the hand of Saul. But we realize that doesn't happen. But yet in that moment, David said, I'm still going to keep trusting him. Then let's look at number five. David knew that everything he ne- needed would be found in the Lord. Uh, Psalm 63, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn over to that real quick. Psalm 63, I'll throw it on the screen here, <coughs> and verses uh, one through three. Here we go. I'll start with the verse. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Now notice, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. So what is, what is David saying? He's saying that he knew that everything he needed, no matter what it was, he'd find it in the Lord. Here's what happens many times in the Christian life. We start drifting from that, and we think, well, I, I, I trust the Lord, but I'm going to go ahead and try to figure things out on my own. But God doesn't want to be treated that way. You have to ask yourself this question. Do you genuinely believe that God has the answer for everything you're going to face in life? I mean, really. Do you really think that everything that you're going to face, God has the answer for? Because if you don't, it's difficult for you to trust Him in the midst of it. That means every bit of bad news, that means every health scare, that means every financial distress, that means every illness, every relationship that's strained or broken, every, every depression, everything. Do you really believe that God is your shield? Do you believe that He's your strong and mighty tower? Do you believe that He is your refuge, a very present help in time of trouble? Because if you believe that, then you can rest as David did while he's in a cave and he has an opportunity to take him out, but he doesn't. Then he's on the hills and he has a second opportunity and he refuses to take it because he realizes that everything I need, I'll get from him. Then uh, let me show you the, these three verses here in Psalm 108, the third of these three Psalms. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Will not thou, O God, who has cast us off, And will not thou, O God, go forth with our host, realizing he's outnumbered 10 to 1? God, are you going to leave me hanging here? Are you going to come through? Notice this. Give us help from trouble. For vain, the word means empty, vain is the help of man. And I think the sixth thought David knew, mercy for my enemy, is he knew that God was fighting for him. Let me ask you this. Do you ever feel, I want you to think this through for a moment. Do you ever feel that you have been abandoned and forsaken? Now, I don't want you to answer out loud, but there are some times where you feel like, I don't know if he's hearing. I don't know, or if he's hearing, I don't know if he's listening. Or if he's listening, I don't know if he's responding. I just feel like I'm going at this all alone. Well, when you feel that way, you have to remember what David said in the midst of this terrible season. I know that God is fighting for me. Listen, when you got saved, do you think God turned his back on you? You see, when you got saved, God put you in the hollow of his hand, and he said, no man's ever going to get you. 
He said, in fact, I'm going to put you right in there, and I'm going to take my other hand, and I'm going to wrap it around it. You're not getting out. And not only that, nothing could ever get to you that it's been said in song, nothing ever gets to you that doesn't first go through God's hands. And nothing ever happens in your life that God is not uniquely aware of. Now, here's, what, here's where we mistake about God. We assume that that means, because this is the way we think as a human, as man and woman, we think that, so that means that nothing bad is ever going to happen. Because if God is my Father, and God is protecting me, and God is sovereign, then that means He's never going to let anything happen to me. Well, you never find that in the Bible. Do you realize some of the most amazing characters in Scripture had some of the most unbelievable things happen in their life? I mean, you start in Genesis, you go with Joseph. Here's Joseph. The Bible says about him more than any man in the Bible. The Lord was with him and caused all that he did to prosper. God allows him to be sold into slavery by his siblings, and he doesn't see his family for two decades. And if that's not bad enough, the journey takes him to prison. And he doesn't just spend, you know, like a week in there. He's there for years. I mean, Joseph, the Lord was with him and caused all that he did to prosper. And here was Joseph. You go a few chapters later and you find... Here's Job. We talked about him. We've talked about him often lately, but nobody ever had a season like Job, man. I mean, just boom. In that one day, everything that could happen to you happened. But God would say about Job that there wasn't anybody on the planet like him, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And yet God told the devil, this blows my mind. God told the devil, have you, have you ever considered him? Which makes you assume that the devil is considering some. You know, I mean, you, you, you can only assume that. But he singles him out by name. If I'm Job now, I, you know, of course, I'm, I'm sure Job now realizes hindsight's always twenty twenty, especially when you're in heaven already, and you realize everything good that came out of that. But if I'm Job, I'm thinking, what, me? <laughs> Come on. I, I, you know, I, I serve you. I'm trying to do right by my family and by my business and by my conduct and by my conversation and the crowd that I'm running with and and all of that, and you pick me for this? It's very easy to take that approach. But you find what was so unique about Job was in the midst of all of that, the Bible says that in all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. It's almost like God said, see, I knew it. And then he has the devil come back a second time, and he said, yeah, he said, but let me, let me tack his body. And so he does, man. He's got loathsome sores. I mean, just unbelievable from the sole of his feet to the crown of his brow, and the, you know, pus is oozing out of him. He's in unbelievable pain. Nothing he can do about it. And he said, naked came I into the world, naked shall I return thither. Because God said, that's my guy. And he just proved it. You see, when God allows things to come into your life, it's easy for us to say, well, I thought he loved me. I thought he saved me. He put me there in the hollow of his hand, and he wrapped it around it so, so nothing bad's ever going to happen. I, this morning I told you, last week I told you about a song that was written because of someone's heartache, someone's disappointment, someone's tragedy. And you, for, you and I, and literally hundreds of thousands, probably millions of Christians across the globe have drawn strength from those very songs. I don't know about you, but, you know, 
I have songs that really, you know, and that's one of the things that's so powerful about music. They can put you in the, in a, in the right frame. They can also put you in a depressing frame. You know, they, they can, you know, music that you like to work out to or eat pizza by, you know, which, whichever. But there are certain songs, and I, I, was, uh, I was talking to Amanda this morning, and I, I was, because there was a song that, that has been sung in this church this morning, not, uh, not this morning, but Nothing Ever Can, Nothing Ever Will. How many of you know that song? I was listening to it last night, and, and it was on my mind, and so I, in the middle of the night, I'm, I, I wake up and I'm thinking that song. And so this morning before church, I'm playing that song. And, and probably the best rendition that I have heard is probably West Coast, uh, uh, their college choir. And man, when I hear that, I was just, it's so, um, th- this afternoon I was driving, uh, uh, Lauren and uh, Tony were driving together and I was driving by myself and I, and I played it and I played it again and I played it again. And I played it four times before I got home and I sat in the driveway and I hit it again. And, and, and you know, when I hear something like that, it's a reminder to me, nothing ever can. Nothing ever will. When I hear verses of Scripture and I, I remind myself of them, uh, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I, I don't look at heartache and hurt and disappointment and say, and by the way, the world does. You all remember, and you've heard people say it in the, in the world and secular community, uh, if God was around, then why did he let night? Where was he at when the Twin Towers collapsed? And they'll throw God under the bus. They'll say, if God was really, then how did that happen? But you can go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. See, so, I mean, John the Baptist. God said there wasn't anyone born greater among women than John the Baptist. God let him stay in prison and be beheaded for preaching the truth. So we're scratching our head and thinking. So while we don't understand all that, because if you were God, you would, you would, You'd ride to the scene on a horse and you'd rescue everybody. If you were God, nothing bad would ever happen to God's people. That's our way of thinking, right? And I'm not not throwing shade on that. I'm simply saying that's how we are. But that's not God. Because God is doing everything in a big picture. Story after story after story about people's lives who have been touched, changed for all eternity while hearing of the impact of a wound, of a hurt, upon the lives of someone else. And David knew, no matter where I am, I know this. God is always fighting for me. Yeah, but you got bad news from the doctor. I know. But God's still fighting for me. Yeah, but you, you're broke, and, 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 and if, if God was really true, you wouldn't have, God owns the wealth on a thousand hills, the cattle on a thousand hills, and the wealth in every mine, and if that's true and you're his, then, then why don't you have it? God's always fighting for me. If I lose every dime I've ever made, if I lose my health, if I lose my faculties, God is always fighting for me. Always. I may not have an explanation. I hope I can have the, the fortitude, spiritually speaking, in the character of a Christian, of the Apostle Paul. God, take this away. God, take this away. God, take this away. Well, I guess he's not there because he's not listening. No. Because we look at the Apostle Paul, and how many times have you thought about that in your seasons? 
Because God never does waste suffering. He never wastes tragedy. He never wastes disappointment. He never wastes grief. God always teaches. Do you realize a lot of times what you're going through is so that you can help somebody else down the road? And I can tell you story after story, and many of you could as well, of how God, in the midst of unbelievable circumstances, and you saw God's grace, you saw that God's presence was real because David knew, here I am, route number 3,400, this looked like the perfect opportunity of deliverance, and he wasn't going to mistake that moment as being God's deliverance because he knew that if deliverance was coming, God was going to be the one to make it clear. Shall we stand?